0: All right, I reckon we finish our study on Acts today. Malcolm's going to talk to us about Acts 28. Where does that fit in the the grand scheme of Acts? The very end. The very final chapter? Yep. Cool. These are the final verses. So you might remember uh, that last week we encountered Paul in Ephesus, And he spent uh, two years there building the church in Asia, what we now call Turkey. Um, And he left soon after a major riot. Everyone remember that? Gripping story. Uh, He returned via a circuitous route to Jerusalem, taking a large collection of money to support the church there. Unfortunately, in Jerusalem, uh, Paul encountered the same hostility that he had in Ephesus. And so he was arrested by the Romans for his own safety, protecting him from the Jews. Uh, After another circuitous and lengthy process, Paul ended up appealing to the emperor and was put on a ship for Rome. That voyage was a disaster. And it was only God's provision that protected everyone on board, although God wasn't so careful with the ship, which was wrecked. After five months of adventure, Paul finally arrived in Rome. So that's that's his uh, journey there. One of the maps I saw had a sort of squiggly bits in that last bit across the sea to Malta where there was a storm, so the ship was going in circles in that map, but this one's a bit more realistic. Um, Let's read what Paul did in Rome. Three days after Paul's arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders. He said to them, Brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government, even though I'd done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors. The Romans tried me and wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. I asked you to come here today so we could get acquainted and so I could explain to you that I'm bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel the Messiah has already come. They replied We've had no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who has come here. But we want to hear what you believe. Uh, The only thing we know about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. So a time was set and on that day a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the Scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. and that's a sermon. That's a, that's a serious sermon. You don't need to <laughs> But even with that day-long sermon, some were persuaded by the things he said, but others did not believe. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, They left with the final word from Paul. Paul was very diplomatic here. Not really. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see. And their, um, and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles and they will accept it. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God And teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. Now there are many voices today who are proclaiming, uh, pointing to a new age for Christianity. A post-Christian age. And I think there's no doubt that the end of the Elizabethan era, which we have just witnessed, will Amplify these voices. Pope Francis said in 2019 that the Catholic Church must adopt new approaches to evangelism, evangelization in a post Christian West. He said, We need other maps, other paradigms that might help us change our ways of thinking. We are not in Christianity, not anymore. Pope said at the weekend in a Christmas message to Vatican officials. So this is the Christmas message of 2019. We are no longer under a Christian regime because the faith, especially in Europe but also in much of the West, no longer constitutes an obvious premise of common life. On the contrary, it is even often denied, derided, marginalized and ridiculed. This is a common refrain if you read the papers or or listen to um, the radio or um, I don't think you'll get this on Instagram, but you know if you if you read media that's actually talking about thoughts, you'll actually get this idea that that we're in a post Christian age. but is it really true? Do we really need other paradigms because We are not in Christianity, as Pope Francis put it, anymore. We find the same doomsday attitude in Australia as well. John Carroll, this is John Carroll, wrote in The Australian at the beginning of this year, The religious framework that used to provide answers has gone. We live in a post-Christian era, which does not mean that Christianity has lost its profound influence. The societies of the Western world remain culturally Christian, while the faith, theology, teachings and religious practices have largely lapsed. What it means to be culturally Christian is a large topic for another occasion. But have the faith, theology, teachings and religious practices of Christianity ever actually been dominant in our culture? Certainly the idea... The ideas that there is a God, that there is a heaven and hell, that God is supposed to be in charge of the world, and so on, these sort of ideas, have been largely accepted in Western society. So if you ask your grandparents, they would probably believe these things. And they are now far less popular, so if you ask your children or your grandchildren, they may not believe these things. But... Are those ideas Christian? Don't Jews believe these things too? Don't Muslims? Uh, The answer to those two questions is yes, by the way, in case you're wondering. So why don't we say that we're living in a post-Jewish or a post-Muslim society? Well, yes, of course, these ideas entered Western culture through Christianity, not through Judaism or Islam. That's why we don't say we're post-Judish or post-Islamic. But my point is that these ideas are not unique to Christianity. They're, they're not, they don't define a Christian faith. Rather, they're shared by the great monotheistic faiths. So let's distinguish then okay, between what I will call Western monotheism, the beliefs which our culture previously had and which is now abandoning, and genuine Christian belief. Okay, you got that? Western monotheism, Christian belief. Why am I making this distinction? Why am I pushing back on Pope Francis, on John Carroll, and and many, many others? When I did a search for this, there were plenty of articles that were talking about this. So a lot of them are from Catholic thinkers, admittedly, um, but not all. There are many who make these sorts of claims regarding the diminution of Christian faith. I actually think there's good reason to push back on these claims. Pope Francis says we need to develop new ways of thinking. John Carroll says society can no longer find Christian answers because we've abandoned Christian faith. But if society was never actually Christian in any real sense, then both of these claims are wrong. As Christians, we're not facing a new challenge. And as a society, we never had Christian beliefs to rely on. And it's pretty clear to me that Western monotheism has never been a, genuine, a genuinely Christian belief system. So let's do an exercise. And this needs your participation. What are the core distinctive beliefs of Christianity which set it apart from all other religions? I've got three that I've prepared slides for. So if you answer anything else, I won't have a slide. But, but I'll try to fit it into one of the three. <laughs> Neil. You want the resurrection. Yep. Resurrection. Um, yes. The resurrection is fits into this one. So, <clears throat> the Christian concept of salvation is unique. The idea that you cannot do anything to save yourself but rather it's through Jesus' death and resurrection. That is key to our faith. We find it in Peter's account to the church of his encounter with Cornelius when he's explaining what happened uh, with when the Gentiles, Cornelius as a Gentile accepted faith. He says, And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Who was I to stand in God's way? So the the death and resurrection of Jesus is something that's equally accessible to everyone and it's it's so completely unencumbered, that's what allowed Christianity to become a multicultural religion, which is what Peter's talking about here and what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You'll notice that both Judaism and Islam are not multicultural religions, right? Rather, they dictate so many works that must be done to please God that they end up dictating cultural structures. So, so if you're Islamic, there's a whole bunch of cultural stuff that you have to do to be a Muslim. The fact that multiculturalism has undermined Western monotheism, in other words, multiculturalism is incompatible with Western monotheism, which is leading to the things that Pope Francis and uh, John Carroll are worried about, is evidence that Western monotheism is not genuinely Christian because Christianity is perfectly comfortable with multiculturalism. But Western monotheism, which is a monotheistic religion like Jewish, Jewish, Judaism and Islam, is a cultural thing. And it's not compatible with multiculturalism. So Western monotheism is not multicultural, not Christianity. Western monotheism is not Christianity. What else? What, what are some of the other unique distinctives of the Christian faith? So we've had salvation, Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' death, and the accessibility of all that. What else? The Son of God, yep, that will fit into this one. The Trinity. We've. That's right. Yep, yeah, and Jesus was just another human being like Muhammad um, who God worked through. <clears throat> but he was perfect, he didn't sin. That's weird, but anyway... So we, find, we actually find the Trinity expressed throughout Scripture. Um, and I've been trying to take quotes for all of these things from Acts because we've been going through Acts. And I wanted to show that even Acts alone shows us the whole breadth of the Christian faith. So Acts is the very beginning of the church. And at the, by the very beginning, the church already had these distinctives. Peter's answer to the Sanhedrin after they arrested him which we haven't looked at in our series it came after that first encounter with the Sanhedrin that we did look at and then the Sanhedrin arrested them again and threw them in jail and Peter said to the Sanhedrin the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross that's the father then God, that's the Father, put him in the place of honour at his right hand as Prince and Saviour. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. So we see these the three persons of God in this defence that Peter makes. God the Father, God the Son who is put at the right hand of the Father so is equal, co co-regent with him therefore must be God and the Holy Spirit. The fact that there is one God who's three persons who relate to us and one another in different ways is of course a key distinction of Christianity and when that's abandoned or doesn't exist as in Judaism or Islam it actually transforms the nature of faith. So if you take the Trinity out of Christianity and people have tried to do this you've probably we actually had some knock on our door today. Um, some of these people who had pulled Christianity, uh, the Trinity out of Christianity. Um, <clears throat> and They were doing their witnessing. Um, and uh, we missed them, unfortunately. We were out. Um, but for them, God becomes more distant and our faith becomes a religion of working our way towards God's approval, which is why they were knocking on our door, by the way. And that, of course, is what Western monotheism is. It's a religion of works. So when people think about when our culture thinks about Christian belief, they think about all of the things you do. Western monotheism is not Christianity. Third thing, there's one more thing that I've God pursues us. Uh, does that fit into my final one? No, sorry. But that's a good one. God, God is that sort of fits in the salvation one, because God, God is the one who acts, not us. Neil. God is not dead. Jesus is alive. Yep. Like yep. The other, like the other religions don't, don't have a living saviour. Yeah. yeah. That's that's a good one, and that sort of fits into both the Trinity and and the, the that Jesus is the salvation. Uh, yes, we're getting close, we're getting close. There's something something else. Yes. So, <laughs> we've all sinned and none seek God. This is the only one that I couldn't find in Acts easily. Um, <clears throat> although I've still got a quote from Acts. The Christian view of mankind is uniquely bleak. And this is possible because Christianity has a uniquely high view of God. As as Tim said, God pursues us. And as Neil said, Jesus is still alive. So we have a living saviour who pursues us. And so we can have a very negative view of ourselves because God makes up for it, if if that makes sense. When Paul tells King Agrippa about his conversion, he says that Jesus sent him to the Jews and the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Graham talked about darkness and light last week. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. So the Christian view is that all people are in darkness unless they have been set apart by faith in Jesus. There's there's no middle way. There's no sort of a decent person. You're either saved by faith in Jesus or lost in darkness. It's a binary it's a binary thing. It's there's not you can't be on the spectrum of Christianity. There's no there's no Christian spectrum. There's no ground for cultural Christianity. You can't inherit your faith. Western monotheism is not Christianity. So to summarise our little exercise, Western monotheism is not Christianity. That's the summary. So is everyone on the same page now? Cool. So basically culturalism has nothing to do with whether Christianity is the same. So our so-called Western culture, our Christendom, which is another word for it, is not actually Christian. That's all I want to say. So, so anyone who thinks that we've been living in a Christian country and now we're becoming not Christian, I'm sorry, you've, it was, it was you've got like, that wrong. It yeah, it was, it was mistakenly labelled Christian. It was never actually Christian. That doesn't mean that there weren't Christians in the country. Hopefully we have been Christians and hopefully the church had Christians in it. But the culture was never Christian. So now we know that Western culture has never been Christian, but is Western monotheism or Christendom the belief system that we're shifting away from? Is that a helpful step on the way to Christian faith? In other words, is it easier for these Western monotheists, these people who live in Christendom, to make the step to Christianity than it is for people of other beliefs to do so? In other words, is it going to get harder for us to convert people? Is it going to get harder for people to come to Christ because they're no longer in Western monotheism? Right? Guess what? We have a case study right here in the last verses of the book of Acts. And of course, we also had a case study in the testimony as well. Why don't we, take a, have, a, why don't we have a look at Acts? I like the Bible as a data source. I tend to find it tends to be a bit more reliable than other, than other sources of information. Now, in Acts, we have the godly Jews who are monotheists par excellence instead of Western monotheists. So we don't have an exact mapping. And we also have the control group, Gentiles, mostly Greeks and Romans, pagans par excellence with their... Diverse and syncretistic pantheon. So they're both a little bit different from our current world where we have Western monotheists and pluralists, probably. So what's Paul's experience in terms of whether one group is easier to bring to faith than the other? Paul actually summarises that in verses 27 and 28. Hmm... Interesting, eh? It seems to me like Paul is saying that the Gentiles are more open to the gospel than the Jews, doesn't it? He's saying the Jews are, their hearts are hardened, they can't see, they're not going to hear, but when he talks to the Gentiles, they'll accept it. Of course, it's not that simple. Paul's exaggerating a bit. If we look, maybe he's just frustrated after a day's preaching and all these people have been so unresponsive, I know how he feels no, she's joking <laughs> I haven't done a day's preaching yet so I'll tell you when I've done that we can practice if we want to if we want to do a day's preaching as a special renew thing <laughs> Graham and I can team team preach for a day <laughs> if we <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah the congregation can roster as well like the. If we look just a few verses earlier, we see that when Paul preaches to the Roman Jews, some of them do believe, right? Some were persuaded by the things he said, but others didn't believe. So, so not all Jews um, don't hear. And if we recall last week's sermon, where Graham talked about the riot in Ephesus, it's obvious that many Gentiles did not believe in Jesus. So some Jews do believe, many Gentiles don't. In fact, I think Isaiah's prophecy, which Paul quotes to the Roman Jews, which we just read, actually applies to every human being. We are all like this. When we hear what God says, we won't understand. When we see what God does, we won't comprehend. For our hearts are hardened, our ears cannot hear. We've closed our eyes. Our eyes cannot see, our ears can't hear, our hearts cannot understand. We can't turn to God and be healed. Isn't that an apt description of so many people you've you've shared the gospel with? They hear it, but they just won't understand. Right? You've had that experience. And it's clear that in Paul's day, it made no difference whether they were Jews or Gentiles. And I contend that in our day it makes no difference whether you're sharing the gospel with a Western monotheist, with somebody who believes in Christendom, an old-fashioned Australian, or with a pluralist, a modern Australian, who believes all sorts of weird pagan stuff, or all sorts of, you know, believes in relativism or whatever. If God opens their ears, then they'll hear in fact, Paul says this directly in the letter that he had written to the Roman church before arriving there. So before this this account in Acts, Paul wrote his letter to the Romans. In fact, while he was in Ephesians, while he was in Ephesus, he probably wrote his letter to Romans. And in that he told the Roman Christians, Well, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we've already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Very bleak view, as I said. What are we to do then? What are we to do as Christians? Where do we find ourselves in Australia today? I think that we can take Paul's example. See what Paul did? After, the Jews, after many of the Jews rejected him, for the next two years, he just lived in his little rented home, chained to a soldier, and welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus He just shares the gospel with those he can and he trusts the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. I think this is an encouragement for all of us. Are you busy? Share the gospel with those you come across in your daily busyness. Are you stuck at home? Share the gospel with those who visit you and invite people to visit you. God only asks us to use the gifts he's already given us. He doesn't ask us to change the world. That's his job. God will bring about the final judgment, not us. We just need to share Jesus with the people he brings into our lives. And we don't need any special knowledge, any special techniques. We just need to read our bibles to get to know jesus to have a relationship with him like um i can't remember his name but the 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 ex-hindu priest said and we can share that relationship which is what paul did that's how the book of acts ends those are the last verses no one tried to stop him With the great evangelist and international missionary, Paul, Acts ends with Paul stuck in a house, sharing the gospel with people who visited him at home. He could have been, you know, in an aged people's home, unable to leave it. That's the situation that Paul was in. So if Paul can share the gospel in that situation, we can do that, right? We can share the gospel. We're not chained to a Roman soldier. We've got more flexibility than that. Isn't God's plan amazing, how he makes it possible for all of us to share the gospel, no matter what our limitations, no matter what our skills? Isn't that fantastic? I can see we're all super excited. (laughs) 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 This is something that, it's like a marathon. It's something that um, you don't have to get hyped up about it. It's just a quiet, gentle, persistent, long-term thing. And God will make the fireworks out of this. God will do the spectacular stuff. We don't need the pomp and glory that we saw. I don't know if you watched last night with the... proclamation of king charles the third being the king we don't need that that's that's god's going to do that at the end of time and that's his business we just need to be faithful so let's pray father we thank you for sending jesus to rescue us from the darkness of sin lord jesus we recognize that our culture can't save us but that we need to repent and accept your lordship in our lives. Holy Spirit, fill us with your presence so that we can walk in your ways and share your word with our neighbours and family, our co-workers and whoever we run into or visits us. In Jesus' name. Amen.